Let's get into the Word of God this morning. I believe the Lord has something for us. As a church, we've been reading through the Bible over the last few months. We've entitled the sermon series, The Greatest Story Ever Told, and we're using, we're using as a resource a book called The Story. It's a chronological, edited version of the Bible. It kind of reads like a novel. So we've been using this book, taking it a chapter each week, and we've been encouraging you to do some Bible studies that we've provided for you. You can find these resources on that back table there if you, don't have, uh, if you haven't availed yourself of them yet. But uh, these are Bible studies we, we try to have prepared for you so that you can take this home and study, read and study through the week so that when we come together on Sundays, man, you're just full of knowledge and wisdom and we can just all, you know, get into the Word and, and grow. How many of you are enjoying that and doing that on a regular basis? Come on. Have you enjoyed it? Have you learned things about the Bible and about God that you've never known before? Absolutely. Uh, even me, as I, the Bible is, is an incredible book. It's, it's a book that even a child can understand, but it's a book that you can spend the rest of your life studying and never come to the end of it. It's, it's, just, it's, it's an amazing thing, and, and that's what we're trying to do is encourage our church, all of us, to get into the Word of God and to, to dive into it to see what God has to say to us through it. And I want to remind you that there are four important reasons I pointed out to you at the beginning of this series as to why, who doesn't have a story yet but wants one? Anybody? You don't have one yet? All right, Come here, Sarah. Here's the Bible study that goes with it. Let me give that away. Would you guys pass that down to her, please? Thank you. And answer the phone for crying out loud. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, Jenny. She's going to kill me after service. <laughs> Tell Bill I didn't mean it. No, I'm kidding. Four reasons why I want us to, to study the Bible or why I think we ought to be, make the Bible a central focus of our life is, first of all, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. And if it is the Word of God and we believe that it is, then it's worth reading and it's worth studying and it's worth us knowing what it has to say to us. Amen? It's the Word of God. It's also in the Bible that God defines Himself for us. We have a tendency as human beings to create idols out of our own heart. We want gods that somehow look like us and want what we want, but God is totally other. And it's the Bible that defines the nature and character of God for us. It helps us understand who God really is. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And our lives would be so much healthier if we would get a clear idea and understanding of who God really is. A third reason why we are trying to emphasize the study of the Bible is because the Bible reveals God's plan of salvation to us. There's only one way to the Father, that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be saved other than through Jesus. And it's the Bible that lays out this gospel narrative for us that helps us understand the nature, the purpose of the gospel, and how to appropriate the power and the blessings of the gospel to our life. To be saved from our sin, to be saved from death, to be saved from hell, and to be able to enjoy a healthy relationship, a living relationship, eternal life, if you will, with God forever. It's the Bible that reveals that to us. There's really no other way to find out who God is. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The fourth reason is because the Bible teaches us how to live in healthy relationships with God and one another. You'll be a better person if you put the Word of God into practice in your life. It will bless you. You'll be a better businessman. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better father, mother. You will be a better person by simply learning from the Word of God the principles that God has given us in His Word, 
putting those into practice, it's the pathway to blessing in your life. So we study the Bible in order to have healthy relationships with each other. Don't you wish everybody would study the Bible with that purpose in mind? Wouldn't the world be a better place? Amen. So now we've arrived at chapter 13 of the story. And it's the part of the story, it's the chapter that tells us about the wisest person who ever lived, a man named King Solomon. And there's so much that we can learn from this story. And just as a way of summary, we're going to show you this little video clip that will explain chapter 13 to you. That teaches us about you, about ourselves, about this gospel plan that you have outlined for us about Jesus, about his sacrifice, his suffering, his resurrection, his ascension. We thank you for this gospel message, God, that comes to us so clearly through your word. Help us, Father, not to take this word for granted. Help us to see that long after this world and everything in it has faded away, that your word will still stand. Help us, God, to make this word your word, central to our lives. Help us, O oh God, to drink deeply from the depths of its grace and power. And Lord, we pray today as we study this specific chapter in your word, this man named Solomon, God, that you would help us to draw from it some practical lessons that we could apply to our own lives, that we could see that the same God who worked in his life is the same God who will work in our life. Help us, Father, to grow to be made stronger, to be made more faithful as we study your word. Let your spirit work in our hearts, forming Christ in us. It's your word that sets us free. It's by your truth we're sanctified. Father, do your work in us through your word today. Spirit of God, these hearts are yours. These hearts are yours. Take this word Use it to mold our lives, shape us, form us after the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us just to take a look at some lessons we can draw from the life of Solomon. It's going to be a simple message. I hope it, it's, I think it's very practical, but you'll have to take these lessons and apply them to your own life, to your own context, to the own to, to the own place you are in your walk with the Lord. I know that there are people in this room that haven't even begun a walk with the Lord yet. I understand that. But I want you to see that there is a God who is always working, trying to draw you into his kingdom because he has something in mind for you. The world may have called you worthless, but God has special plans for you. And there are others among us who have walked with the Lord for a long, long time. Guess what? God's still not finished with you yet. There's work yet he needs to do in your life and in your heart. And I pray that this word will some somehow bring that into focus. And then there are some of us who kind of fall in between. We've just started our walk with the Lord, or we've been walking for a few years, and we know there's a whole lot more out there ahead of us. We'll take these lessons to heart. There's so much to learn here. The first lesson I want us to draw from the life of Solomon is this, that God can use anyone he chooses to use. God can use anyone he chooses to use. Last week we talked about the sordid affair between David and Bathsheba and the awful aftermath of David's sin. And if you remember the first baby that David and Bathsheba had together, that baby died as a consequence. I believe God was protecting that baby from, a, from the stigma that might have uh, followed him all of his life. Solomon was the second child that came from the relationship between 
David and Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 12 tells us, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. Four important words here. The Lord loved him. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Isn't it interesting that Jedidiah was the one who had confronted David about his sin, but now it was Nathan coming to David to say, hey, God's got a special plan for your son. God loves him. The name Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. This relationship between David and Bathsheba should never have happened. It should never have happened. Yet God chose the product of this illicit relationship between David and Bathsheba. God chose this child to follow David as the king of Israel. It makes absolutely no sense from the world's point of view. David had other children. David had other children who were better qualified. David had other children that, had, that came from more godly, if you will, relationships. But yet it was Solomon that God chose to love and elevate to become the king of his people. Why Solomon? We don't even know. God doesn't explain himself to us, does he? He makes his choices and that's it. God chose Solomon. Why Solomon? No one really knows. But here's what becomes clear as you read about Solomon. It becomes clear that God doesn't need a perfect match or a perfect background to make a person great. God can use anybody. God can use anyone, even the least likely among us, to display His glory to the world. And as a matter of fact, this seems to be a pattern. Listen to me carefully. As you read the story, you're going to notice this. This seems to be the pattern that God practices throughout the story. He always seems to choose the youngest or the lowliest or the smallest or the least qualified. He always chooses those kinds of people to elevate and use for His purposes. Think about it. Jacob, the deceiver. Moses, the murderer. Rahab, the harlot. These are the kinds of people that God chooses. People like you and me. Come on. People like you and me. 1 Corinthians 1.28 says, God chose things despised by the world, things counted, all, counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And here's a lesson I want you to take away from the story about Solomon is maybe God could even use some of us ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> some of us broken, bruised up, beaten up. People like you and me. Maybe God could even use some of us to do some great things for Him today if we will simply make ourselves available to Him and say, yes, Lord, here I am. Second lesson. A prayer can change your life. A prayer can change your life. It can change the trajectory of your life. Solomon became king as a young man. He was, around, he was either in his late teens or his early 20s. How many of you are in that category? Late teens, early 20s. My wife is 29. She's just outside of that. Oh, raise your hand. Seriously. Are you in that? Thank you, Angie. By faith, she claims it. Oh, some of you people... We've got to get back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Anyway, 
<laughs> a prayer can change your life. Solomon was just a young man somewhere in his late teens or early 20s, and early in his reign, Solomon enjoyed this incredible experience. He actually had a direct conversation with the Lord God himself. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, oh, wouldn't you like to be asked this? Ask for anything, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Wouldn't you like the Lord to show up in a dream and say, ask me for whatever you want me to give you? How would you answer that question? Lord, give me a long life. Lord, give me lots of money. Lord, give me a companion to share my life. Lord, give Auburn another football chant. No, sorry, sorry. I mean, what would you ask for? Sorry, all you Auburn fans, sorry about that. I mean, I'm I know, I called you out, didn't I? What would you, what would you ask for, Sherry? Not the fear anymore. You think God would answer a prayer like that? You think God has already answered that prayer? You just have to walk in faith, not fear anymore? Well, Solomon answered the question this way in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, where he said, Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. It was that prayer that changed Solomon's life. That one prayer completely changed Solomon's life. God answered Solomon's prayer and Solomon became the wisest man who ever lived. As a matter of fact, 2 Kings tells us that the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. Not only did God give Solomon the wisdom he prayed for, but God said to Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, moreover, and that's just like God, he's always doing the moreover, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. I want you to think about this, guys. God has a pattern, listen to me, and you will see it again. This is a pattern that's demonstrated to us over and over and over again in the Word of God. God has a pattern of giving us more than we pray for. God has a pattern of giving us more than we prayed for. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, I wish Mark were here. Tell Mark I used Charles, a Charles Spurgeon quote. Charles Spurgeon gave this pattern a name. He called it the divine habit. The divine habit. Spurgeon said, God not only redeems his promises, but when he promises to meet them in silver, he prefers to pay them in gold. You like that? Let me read, read it with me, because that's just an awesome quote. God not only redeems His promises, but when He promises to meet them in silver, He prefers to pay them in gold. A prayer can change your life. And Solomon's story reminds us that prayer can change our lives. Matthew 7, 7-8 says, Ask, and it will be knock. Excuse me, seek, and you will knock, and the door will be for everyone. Say everyone. Everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Matthew 21, 22, we sang it just a minute ago, but do you believe it? If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer, for nothing is impossible with God. Do you really believe that prayer can change your life? 
Do you really believe that? Do you believe a prayer can change your life? If you believe that, then every time we go to the Lord in prayer, we ought to really be praying and not just going through the motions. How many times do we just get caught up in the routine of prayer? We never think about its impact. We just kind of say the words. We don't think much about it. I hope next time you go into your prayer closet, the next time you spend time in conversation with God, you go in with this attitude, God, you can do it, and I trust that you will, because that's who you are. And I believe this prayer can change my life. Prayer can change your life. Do you really believe it? Solomon says you ought to believe it, whether you do or not. Do you really believe that God hears and answers your prayer? Do you really do you lift up God-sized, God-centered prayers to God? And do you trust Him to do even more than you ever ask or think? Because that's His divine habit. His divine habit is to give us more than we could ever ask or think. Solomon's story reminds us that prayer can change our lives. The third lesson I want you to draw from Solomon's story is this, that true wisdom glorifies God. True wisdom glorifies God. 1 Kings 4.29 says that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He must have been a pretty smart dude. Maybe Stephen Hawking could have learned a thing or two from King Solomon. 1 Kings 4.32 said Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. A thousand and five. Let's not forget the five. First Kings 4.24 said, From all nations, the Queen of Sheba came to visit. Did you read that part of the story? Don't you wonder who the Queen of Sheba was? We don't know a whole lot about her. Don't know a whole lot about the country she came from. But obviously she was impressed with Solomon. First Kings 4.24 said, From all nations, even Sheba, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. A Bible scholar named Herbert Lockyer said, Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. But I like a layman's definition of wisdom even better than that, where it simply says that wisdom is the ability to make good life decisions. Wisdom is the ability to make good life decisions. Solomon's story teaches us this, that making good, wise, life decisions glorifies God. It brings honor to God. When we put into practice the principles and the wisdom that we're given in the Word of God, when we put those into practice, it glorifies God. It gives God an opportunity to bless us. It gives God an opportunity to increase us to increase our influence, to increase our impact on the world around us. One of Solomon's Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Where does knowledge begin? It begins with having a righteous fear of God. Understanding that He's the creator of the universe. That all wisdom flows from His mind and His heart. God is the source of all true wisdom. Our problem is, we want to go running to the nearest psychologist or counselor or financial why don't you go to the Lord first? Because maybe He's got it all figured out already. He's the source of knowledge that you're looking for. He's the wisdom you need to help you make those good and wise decisions. He is your personal, if you will, counselor to take you through the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns and the ins and the outs of life. He's your best friend. And He'll walk you through those situations. 
if you'll let him. If you'll let him. Don't you want, I, I wish we could understand this. God has saved you, called you, raised you up for one purpose, and that's to glorify his name through you. He wants to glorify himself through you. He wants you to represent him well to the world. You can trust him to do that. He's not going to make you look like a fool. Well, in the eyes of the world, you may look like a fool. But in the end, guess who wins? God wants to glorify himself through you. When you put his word into practice, he will ensure that, you are, that he is glorified in your life. When we live wisely, when we make good life decisions, it brings glory and honor to God. People are going to notice if we're living wisely. They will come to us for advice and for counsel. And this gives us a chance to point them to the Lord. See, this is the thing. It's not for our glory, it's for His glory. We need to continually point people to Him because He's the one that makes us who we are. You get that? But when we put His principles and His truth into practice, He glorifies Himself through us so when people come to us for, for guidance, for help, we can say, hey, this is what the Lord showed me. This is what the Lord taught me. This is what the Lord helped me do to get, come on, y'all in recovery know this for real, right? Here's the deal, though. The reverse is also true. When we ignore God's word and when we make foolish life decisions based on something other than God's true wisdom, we dishonor God. They call us hypocrites. They mock us with good reason in some cases. And it dishonors God when people who are called by His name refuse to live by His word. Can I get an amen? And some of us have been there. Some of us may be there today. And I'm telling you, if you are, line your life up with His word. Line every area of your life up with His word. Submit to His authority and let God, again, let His kingdom reign in you so that you can bring honor and glory to your name, so that he can bless your life and bring glory and honor to himself through your life. When we ignore God's word, when we make foolish decisions based on something other than true wisdom that comes from God, people are going to notice that foolishness. And my goodness, there's been enough Christian people living foolish lives out there. Every day it seems like there's another news story about a pastor or a minister or an evangelist of some kind who has brought dishonor to the name of God because of their activities and actions. Let me, look, that's enough of that, right? Proverbs 3.35 says, The wise inherit honor. The wise, those who live according to God's word, inherit honor. But fools are put to shame. Fools, those who ignore the word of God, are put to shame. Solomon reminds us of the importance of true wisdom. The importance of making good life decisions. The importance of looking to God for wisdom and doing what God says to do. So my question, I guess, to you this morning is, are you bringing glory to God by living wisely? Are you bringing glory to God today? Are you putting into practice the Word as best you know how? Living your life in wisdom. Are you making good life decisions? If you're not, let me remind you of a promise given to us in James chapter 1 that says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. And some of you are there today. You're trying to make some choices about the direction of your life, about what you're going to do next. 
The Lord has wisdom for you. He will give you the direction you're looking for. You simply need, it goes back to that idea of praying a prayer, right? A prayer changing your life. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Let him give it to you. Fourth, the story of Solomon reminds us to guard our hearts. The story of Solomon reminds us to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, Solomon gives us some advice. And he says, above all else, above all else, make it your first priority. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Biblically speaking, the heart is the inner core of our being. The heart is the control center of our life. It's where we do our thinking and our feeling and our choosing, our hearts. It's the inner core of who we are. It's our hearts that will direct the ultimate direction of our life. It's our hearts that will direct the course of our life. Solomon says the most important thing we can do as human beings is to guard our hearts. What does that mean? Maybe it means something like this. Set a watch over what you see. Set a watch over what you hear. Set a watch over what you feel. I have a friend named Douglas Walker, and almost every time I hear him preach, he mentions this. You need to be careful what you let into your eye gate, your ear gate, your mouth gate. Why? Because it's these things that will enter into your heart and defile it and corrupt it and pervert it and change its, 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 its way of seeing things. We need to guard our hearts. We need to set a watch over what our hearts see and hear and feel. We need to protect our hearts from unhealthy influences. We need to identify and weed out those harmful thoughts and attitudes that cause our hearts to stray and wander and doubt and disbelieve. We need to feed the heart, our hearts, a steady diet of healthy and nourishing ideas, beliefs, and concepts. That's why you spend time in the Word of God, to feed your heart, to make sure that the diet you're feeding your inner core, your inner man, is healthy, sustaining, nourishing. Listen to what other advice Solomon gave to us about our hearts in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3.1. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. God's commands in our heart. Feed your heart on the word of God. Proverbs 15, 14 says, the discerning heart seeks knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? Gets back to the Lord again. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. Foolishness. Stupidity. I can tell a lot about a person by what they laugh at. Think about it. We feed our minds a lot in this entertainment culture on nonsense and foolishness. Solomon said the discerning heart seeks knowledge. It doesn't chase after foolishness, it seeks knowledge. Proverbs 23.12 says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. That means you hang out with people who know more than you do, who've been down the road a little bit, who can 
tell you about their experiences and the wisdom and the knowledge that they have gleaned through the years as they've walked with the Lord. We need to surround ourselves with good people. Don't we? Proverbs 23, 26, My son, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Surrender your heart to the Lord. Don't remain in control of your, Give your heart to the Lord. Give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. That's some pretty good advice, right? Solomon said, above all else, guard your hearts. If only Solomon had followed his own advice. This is where the rubber begins to meet the road here. If only Solomon had practiced what he preached. But Solomon let his guard down. And he opened up his heart to unholy influences. And he allowed ungodly people to speak into his life. And he began to expose his heart, his eye gate, his ear gate, his mouth gate. He opened them up to influences that began to corrupt the inner core of his being. And we read, sadly, these tragic words in 1 Kings 11, 4-6. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. You, you pick up on that three times the heart is mentioned. Three times the heart is mentioned there. Those wives that he had married, how many of them? 300 of them? That, that's it. 700, what a fool. Right there it says, Woo! red flag, red flag, red flag. 700 wives. And as if that wasn't enough, 300 concubines. That's why I had a thousand and five songs. Yeah, he was waiting on five more wives to sing those songs to, I guess. I don't know. I'm completely lost now. Where was I? <laughs> Three times the heart is mentioned in that one verse. His wives turned his heart after other gods. His wives turned. Have you got people in your life that are turning your heart away from God? I bet you right now there's some faces coming to mind, right? Names. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God. Are there areas of your life where you're telling the Lord, hands off, can't touch me there. Don't touch this. Sorry. I mean, seriously, seriously, are there areas of your life that you have yet to fully devote to the Lord? You're hanging on to it because you want to have your say in it. That area of your life is going to be your downfall. That area of your life is going to cause you to stumble, to fall. It's going to bring dishonor to you and to your God. Is your heart fully devoted to the Lord? as the heart of David his father had been. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. 
We read last week and studied last week about David's failure, moral failure, and it was horrendous. It was awful. But I think it's in the midst of David's failure as he responds to the conviction brought to him about his sin by the prophet. I think it's in that moment we see the heart of David truly exposed for what it was, a repentant, contrite, broken heart. And that's the kind of heart that God will not refuse. We see why God called David a man after my own heart. Because, God, or because David received the rebuke of the prophet and acknowledged it and repented of it. And that's sometimes not easy to do. I'm sure Solomon had plenty of opportunities to turn to the Lord. We're not told about a whole lot of them. Solomon goes on in verses 5 and 6, and they say about his reign, he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Some of the most tragic words, I think, in the entire Bible. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. So a man that started so well, a king that started so well, chosen and loved by the Lord, who failed to practice what he preached, ended up being, in the end, a failure. Solomon's life began with such promise and potential, but it ended with such a crash of disillusionment and disappointment because Solomon failed to follow his own advice. Solomon failed to keep guard over his own heart. His wives turned his heart after other gods. Solomon allowed his heart to be influenced by something or someone other than God and God's work. He started so well but finished so poorly. My question for you this morning is, how well are you guarding your heart? How well are you guarding your heart? You started well, but are there influences still speaking into your life that you just need to shut them out, walk away from them? How well are you guarding your heart? The Word of God tells us above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Man, there's so many lessons to learn from the story of King Solomon. I'm going to just wind it down. I want the... Chris and Mike, you guys come on back up. So many lessons to learn from this life. God can use anyone he chooses, so you should never count yourself out of God's plan. A prayer can change your life, so you ought always to pray and never give up. True wisdom glorifies God, so we need to put God's word into practice in our life. and Let his light shine. We need to guard our hearts because our hearts will determine the outcome of our lives. But there's one more lesson I want to point out to you today, if you will. And I want you to listen to me. I don't even know how this is going to go from here on because it's just open. I want the Spirit just to speak through me this morning. Just one more lesson I want to point out to you. What this really tells me, the story of Solomon really gets across to me, and maybe it does to some of you too, is we need a different kind of king. We need a different kind of king. I believe I need a king. I believe every man needs a king. Every one of us is created to live under someone else's authority. That's the only way it works. Amen? I want to be my own authority. How's that working for you? 
I want to be the Lord of me. How? Really? Come on. Every one of us is created to live in submission to another. And what Solomon's story points out to me is this. I need a different kind of king. Listen, Solomon is the very best humanity has to offer. He is the wisest man who ever lived. If anyone should have been able to figure this thing called life out and do well, it would have been Solomon. He had everything going for him. And yet he, excuse my French, screwed it up. He's no better than any one of us. I need a different kind of king in my life. I can't be trusted to rule and reign over my own life. I can't even trust myself to another human being like me. No matter how good they are, they're going to fail. I need a king. I need someone I can trust. I need someone that can help me walk through these valleys and cover and walk over these mountains. I need somebody that can give me what I need. I need somebody that can protect me and provide for me. I need somebody who can defeat my enemies because I can't do it. I need someone else who can. Solomon couldn't do it. Even somebody like Solomon. There's another king. Someone greater than Solomon. His name is Jesus. He's my king. He's the one I can trust. He is no ordinary man. He is son of God and son of man. He's the one I can look to. He's the one I can follow. He's the one I can serve. He's the one who will never lead me astray. He's the one that will never fail me. He's the one that's already conquered all of my enemies. Even my worst enemy, which is me, my sinful self. He conquered that when He died on the cross. He broke the power of sin in my life. If I will trust Him, if I will put into practice what He says to do, if I will simply surrender my heart to Him, my King will lead me from victory to victory to victory to victory. We need a different kind of King. You need to get off the throne of your own heart. You need to get other people off the throne of your heart. You need to put Jesus on the throne of your heart. He's your only hope. He's the king you need. He's the king you need. I want you to bow your eyes and close, uh, excuse bow your eyes. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Let's do this Christian thing real, real quick. We're going to worship the Lord. I just want him to worship the Lord. I want us to worship. I want us to focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What kind of king? What kind of king would lay his own life down as a sacrifice for his people? What kind of king would do such a thing? But yet that's what Jesus did. That's who our king is. He came to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins on that cross. He paid the penalty. He paid the price we could not pay. He is the king who promises and delivers on every promise. The promise of freedom. When he says it, he means it, and he can deliver on it. He's our champion. Death could not conquer him. It's time. 
It's time for some of you to enthrone Jesus as the King of your life. It's time for you to put your trust and your hope in Christ Jesus, who suffered and died for you on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin, offers you new and eternal life. He's your King. You have sat for too long on the throne of your own heart. You thought that you could be better than Solomon. Well, you're not. Jesus is. And the sooner you realize that you cannot be your own king, and as soon as you realize that there should be nothing else sitting on the throne of your heart, no one else sitting on the throne of your heart but Jesus, when you, when you make that choice and receive Jesus as your king, it's at that moment you're free. Truly free. Free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, free from fear, and free to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. It's time to make Jesus king. It's time to make Jesus king. It's time for some of us to stop holding on to areas of our life, hoping that Christ won't require them from us. Our relationships, our, our friendships, our, uh, our, 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 fin our finances. It's time for us to submit every area of our life to King Jesus.